Pastor Burzin and I, we brainstormed about uh, what, to, what to do a seminar on this morning. And, uh, you know, we thought about uh, Bible meditation or uh, how, to, how to do Bible study, uh, personal quiet time, things like that. But I wanted to continue to, uh, to, to, to hammer or uh, continue to ponder what true righteousness is. And I didn't want to take a break from that. So uh, I wanted to talk about anger this afternoon or this early, uh, late, late morning, I should say. I want to talk about anger because the Bible uh, describes God as a God of wrath. He does, the Bible describes God as one um, who is jealous, vengeful, um, a God who uh, practices righteousness by executing justice. So we know that um, God is a God of anger. Uh, I think, uh, um, I think, the, I think the, the, the most crystallized or clearest way that we can see the wrath of God is on the cross, right? On the cross, we see a God that is uh, so angry, so wrathful. We see a God that is totally um, righteous, Right? And in his righteousness, he slaughters his son. Right? He, he, he shreds his son to pieces. Uh, but on the cross, we, see, we also see a God that is totally loving and totally, and totally good because he put his son on the cross um, in our place. Right? Uh, so we do see it um, in, in a God of justice, um, a God of wrath, a God of anger in the Bible. So the title of this seminar is The Harm, uh, the Hate, and the Holiness of Anger. The Harm, the Hate, and the Holiness of Anger. Okay? The Harm, the Hate, and the Holiness of Anger. Okay? And uh, I will leave a little bit of time for, for Q&A, just in case you may have some questions. So I, I'll do my best to... to uh, to, to, to blow by some of the huge chunks of this seminar. But let's pray very quickly, and then we'll proceed. Gracious God, we thank you that there is none like you. You alone are God, and we are not. And this is a, this is, this is a tough pill to swallow. Uh, even though we may concur, we may adhere uh, to this truth, um, we still, deep down inside, want to believe we know what's best. We know what's best. We know how to apply our feelings, our emotions. Um, we know how to do life and how to live life. Um, but Lord, help us to submit to your word once again. And uh, thank you for uh, revealing yourself to us. For without the revelation, um, of God, of you in Scripture, uh, we would have no hope. Without you revealing yourself to us in the pages of the Bible, how would we know you? We would just, we would just make you in our image. Uh, but instead, you have made us in your image. And so we continue um, to submit to you and your Lordship. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
So today we're going to discuss how are we to handle anger with others and ourselves. How are we to handle anger with our with others and ourselves? How are we to handle anger with others and ourselves? Um, I'm going to go through uh, four sections. Uh, one is anger's dangerous power. Okay, uh, what is uh, one of the most famous Avengers say when he gets angry? Hulk smash. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, there's another character in Marvel. Uh, he belongs to uh, the Fantastic Four, and his name is The Thing. And when he is uh, ready to rumble, he says, it's clobbering time. Okay? So as you can see, I was an avid comic book reader. Um, so... One, we're going to discuss anger's dangerous power. Two, anger's basic goodness. Three, why does anger go wrong? And four, how anger can be healed. One, anger's dangerous power. Two, anger's basic goodness. Three, why does anger go wrong? And four, how anger can be healed how anger can be healed. And I wanted to share a quote with you uh, before we look at this topic of anger. Uh, it's by a, uh, a pastor named Steve Lawson. And this is, what he, uh, this is what he wrote. Sometimes the hardest decisions in life are not between good and evil. They are between good, better, and best. You don't have enough time to live for what is good. And you don't have enough time to live for what is better. You only have enough time to live for what is best. And what is best is for you to seek the Lord with all of your heart to serve Him, to know Him, to honor Him. End of quote. Okay, so my goal in here is not for you guys to become pacifists. <laughs> my goal is not here to you, that uh, there would be no retaliation in you or something like that. Um, we know that the God of Scripture overturned tables and whipped people in the temple, right? This is our God, right? Our God wiped out nations. Like, this is a God that executed genocide, right? Genocidal um, uh, just uh, sweeps of people. Right? This is our God, right? Uh, so we know that um, we know that uh, anger is all over the Bible. Um, but yeah, one um, we're going to talk about anger's dangerous power. Uh, when I was young. Uh, I fought more than I should have, and I don't mean verbally, uh, no, not verbal sparring or um, shadow boxing, uh, I'm talking you know, real fights. Uh, one time I got into a fight and the principal tried to break it up and I uh, made a mistake and punched the principal <laughs> and I was expelled uh, from middle school. Um, so I was a dangerous person because I was angry. Um, 
you've probably heard the expression, you know, broken people do broken things. Right? Broken people do broken things. Um, healed people heal people. Right? But uh, I could not heal anyone because <laughs> I was broken. And uh, I did broken things and I tried to break people. Right? I was a bully. Um, so uh, that's my background. Um, the Bible uh, describes anger like an addictive substance because it hides itself and leads us into denial. The Bible describes anger um, like an addictive substance, like a drug, because it hides itself and leads us into denial. You ever tell someone, calm down or relax? What do they say back to you? I'm not mad, or you relax, right? Like, don't be angry. I'm not angry, right? So there's denial there, right? And then, and then that denial continues to perpetuate or feed our addiction and perpetuate our deception, our self-deception, right? Um, because as we deny our anger, <laughs> it gives us another reason to be angry. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry to laugh at myself, but that's, that's what goes on, right? In order to keep up the denial and fictional reality of it, we have to blame others for our anger, to maintain the anger, in effect, makes us even angrier. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, you don't have to turn there, just listen along. Proverbs 14, 29, uh, it says, After we're angry, um, and then cool down, I'm sorry, that's, that's not the actual proverb. Uh, if you want, I'm going to just turn there real quick, Proverbs 14, verse 29, you can just write down. 1429, Proverbs 1429. It says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Okay. So in light of that passage, uh, after we're angry and then cool down, why do we feel like a fool? Well, the Bible says, because you are a fool. <laughs> because you were a fool. Anger, according to science, anger lowers our IQ. Did you know that? When you're angry or hot-tempered, your IQ drops. Okay? Rationality, intellect, coherency, cognitive, uh, uh, your, 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 your cognitive ability all drops. It all drops. It destroys the will and the ability to make wise decisions. It destroys the will and the ability to make wise decisions. Um, Benjamin Franklin once wrote, Whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. Whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. And he was not a believer, but ain't that the truth? Okay, so we know that there's a dangerous power uh, to anger. Uh, I remember when I used to get, in, um, I used to get very angry at my brother or very angry at my mother or father. Uh, that would punch holes in the wall. You know? But who did I really want to punch? Right, the object of my wrath. Uh, but I will put a hole in the wall instead. Or, or, or kick something um, 
and, and cause damage or dent. Okay? So there is there's a dangerous power to uh, sinful anger. Um, but now the next portion of our seminar, I want us to look at anger's basic goodness. Because I think it's, I think it's a consensus that we know that anger can be dangerous. So let's look at anger's basic goodness. Okay, basic goodness of anger, or positive biblical anger. What is positive biblical anger, or the goodness of anger? Why did God create anger? Why did He put anger? in the heart of people. Okay? Um, well, God himself is angry. Um, God is slow to anger. Right? When Moses met God on Mount Sinai, I believe in Exodus chapter uh, 32, um, and Moses asked God to show him his glory. I don't know if you remember that, that dialogue, right? But Moses is on the cleft of a mountain, Mount Sinai, and he asked God, show me your glory. He doesn't say, give me riches. He doesn't say, give me fame. He doesn't say, blah, blah, blah. He says, God, show me your glory. What a request, right? And um, God introduces himself to Moses. Right? Or he's like, allow me to reintroduce myself, right? And, and uh, he's, he's showing him who he is. And he describes himself to Moses, um, and he describes himself as one who is slow to anger, but God does not say he is not angry, or that he is angerless. He says that he is slow to anger. Do you see that? He is slow to anger. And when I study that passage, I realize that that is part of God's glory. That is a major, major component of God's glory, that He is slow to anger. That's why we can worship Him, and we ought to worship Him. He is worthy of our worship because He is slow to anger. God is angry, but He is slow to anger. Okay. Um, listen to what John Christensen said. He said, "He that is angry, without cause." Sins. But he who is not angry when there is cause, sins. I'm sorry, let me say it again. He that is angry without cause, sins. But he who is not angry when there is cause, sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It's similar to what uh, James 4.17 says. He who knows what he ought to do, but does not do it, to him it is sin. Okay? So what I'm trying to show you is that there is positive biblical anger. Why is there positive biblical anger? Because if you do not get angry, something is terribly wrong with you. Why is there something terribly wrong with you if you never feel anger? If you do not experience anger? Because if you do not experience anger, if you never get angry about anything, guess what? You don't love anything either. Did you catch that? If you don't feel anger, you don't feel uh, an urge to get up, get out, and do something. If you don't feel that, if you don't, if you don't get angry about anything, 
you don't love anything either. How do you feel when someone you love is threatened or ravaged? It's clobbering time, <laughs> right? Hulk smash. Right? Um, you ought to feel that way. If somebody curses out your mama, you should want to honor her and defend her, right? If somebody threatens your wife or your husband, you ought to want to retaliate. This shows that, uh, yes, we were made to worship, um, but, but what, our, what our anger will do with the people that oppose or ruin what we worship. Okay? And uh, let me add, before we move on, that anger isn't the opposite of love. Um, hate is, right? Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. Yet the final form of hate is indifference or apathy. Right? Uh, I think C.S. Lewis said that well too. He said the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. It's indifference. Right? So um, let me put this into a clear definition why uh, anger is positive. Biblical anger is positive. Okay? Anger in its uncorrupted state, okay? Anger in its uncorrupted state is love in motion toward a threat to that which you love. We get angry at someone or something that is endangering that which we love. This is why anger pulverizes and smashes. Uh, on the cross, Christ was pulverized and smashed because God hates sin. And the cross shows us that God hates the sinner. But the cross also shows us that he loves the sinner because he crucified his son. It's all there. We know that um, God hates sin. Um, you may love your comfort or you may love uh, one, two, and three. Um, but what God is most concerned about in your life is the sin. Right? He would, he's a good father. and He would do anything to remove that sin in your life. For instance, uh, when I was disobedient, my father would beat me. Right? He would like, right? he would just whoop my tail. Right? I'm saying it politely. Right? Um, but father... Uh, that was a positive biblical anger in the, in the discipline that he gave me uh, on most occasions because he didn't hate me, he hated what was inside of me. He hated what the behavior or the fruit um, that I was displaying. Okay? So we, we all know that if we don't get angry about anything, you don't love anything either. Um, there's nobody in this world that makes me angrier than my wife. Okay? I love her to death, which is why nobody in this world makes me angrier than my wife. Does that make sense? And then if we have children, I'll say the same thing about my children. Nobody in this world makes me angrier than my children because there's no one in this world I love more than them. So you, you have to feel anger in order to understand love, 
in order to comprehend uh, the depth, the height, the breadth of God's love, you must understand the height, the breadth, and the measure of God's hate towards sin. Does that make sense? So I, w- I want you guys to understand that too, that there is a, a positive uh, nature or um, basic goodness to anger as well. Okay, but now let's go to the third section of our seminar. Why does anger go wrong? Right? Why does it hit the fan? <laughs> right? Why does anger go wrong? Uh, most of our anger goes wrong because it does not have a just cause. It does not have a just cause. Our anger is disorderly or disordered. And why is our anger disordered? Because St. Augustine said that our biggest problem is disordered love. See, they go hand in hand, right? Hand in glove. Because we have disordered love, we have disordered anger. Uh, What did Jesus say in uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 and onward? Jesus had a throng of people following him, like a crowd of people following him. And he turns around. Jesus is the worst senior pastor, right? He's always like, he's always, <laughs> his congregation keeps plummeting and plummeting, right? And he don't care. <laughs> he don't care uh, that his pews are empty. So uh, mad people are following Jesus. And then he turns around and he says, hey, you want to keep following me? You got to, Pick up your cross, deny yourself, right? And follow me, right? But then he like adds more. And then he says, if you would follow me, you must hate your mama. You must hate your daddy. You must hate your children. You must hate your life. You must hate your doggy, right? Hate your cat. Hate your goldfish. You He's saying, I'm not prominent. I am preeminent. See, prominent means one of many. But preeminent means a class, and a class by itself. And God was telling these people, if you are to follow me, you must love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And I know you love your mom, and I know you love your dad, and I know you love your family. But compared to the love you have for me, it should look like nothing. It should look like it's in the integers or, you know, like like Arctic freeze compared to the intensity, the heat that, that you feel for me, the passion that you feel for me. See, our families, our spouses, our jobs, our career, our political causes are all good. There's nothing inherently wrong with them. But we look to these things as the ultimate deliverer, a pseudo-savior, our supreme joy. Things only God can bring. We have God-like expectations on our spouses, on our families, on our pastors, on our best friend. 
and we put God-like expectations on people, right? And then we crush them with those expectations. We smother them. And when they let us down, we are so devastated and deflated, we hate them. We can hate people. We can, we can live and, and we can brood and live in unforgiveness and hold grudges. If we love something more than God and it lets us down, it can feel irrevocable. No, no turning back. Right? And this is why our anger, our emotions get distorted and our love is disorderly. See, um, anger is disordered in its cause and proportion. Like, um, again, uh, just from my childhood, uh, when I would get like brand new J's, you know, I get new kicks, new shoes. Uh, I used to rock a lot of Timberland boots back in the day. And I loved my shoes so much, right? I had such an idolatrous affair with my sneakers, with my, because I was a sneakerhead. That if you stepped on my shoes the day I bought them, or the week I bought them, or the year I bought them, okay? Let's just be, let's be real here. I will fight you. <laughs> you guys are laughing. Yeah, I would fight you. Yeah, I mean, this brother knows. You know, I was raised by the black community. Yeah, and so I will fight you. I will light you up. If you put any lint or any, anything on my shoes, okay? Um, I would even avoid walking on grass. I, I'll take the circuitous route just so I don't walk on grass, okay? That, that, was, that was me. So you see that my anger was disordered in its cause and proportion. So uh, maybe generally speaking, we get angry over a snub or a slight. Like you didn't get invited to a wedding or you weren't part of a wedding party you, you expected to be a part of. Um, we, get, we get angry over uh, 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 not getting promoted or acknowledged more than sex trafficking. Right? We do. We do. We get angry about the former so much more than the latter. We're not, we're not that angry about sex trafficking. We're not that angry about a group of people getting wiped out in some horrible injustice. School shootings. This is blase blah now, right? Ho-hum. So you see, um, we do not question God's goodness, love, and sovereignty when 50 Haitians lie dead under a rubble of construction um, only to have their children and family members dig them out. Yet we have fits of uncontrollable anger toward others and question God if he is good uh, if, we're, if we get into a car accident or our favorite sports team loses in the playoffs. Uh, we do not get into the school we want or the job we expect to have or receive the appropriate raise. Why is this? Frankly, um, our anger goes wrong because God's love is not real. God's love is an abstraction. 
It's not real. It's a proposition, but it's not in a person, Jesus Christ. See, uh, I was a youth pastor for many years, so bear with me again as I share about some of the, some of the woes of youthfulness. So sometimes um, uh, my youth group students would be dating, right? That's always uh, a, a big hot topic in the youth groups, right? So, so my students would be dating, and inevitably they break up, right? K-drama. Um, <laughs> inevitably, they break up, right? So I would, I would, I would uh, come alongside my student, whether it be male or female, it doesn't make a difference. I would come alongside my student, and I would say, hey, man, hey, girl, cheer up. It's going to be okay. You know why? Because Jesus loves you. And you know what they would say to me? I don't care. <laughs> they would sometimes they wouldn't say it because I'm a pastor, <laughs> right? Come a pastor and like they were raised better than that, right? Or like Chongdemar or whatever. But the incredulous look on their face when I told them it's gonna be okay because Jesus. He belongs to Christ. And I'm like tearing up. <laughs> right? And they look at me like, I don't give a rip. <laughs> no, really. You know why? Because God's love is not real to them. It's an abstraction. Right? It's like that cheesy um, back and forth we do at reef retreats. God is good? All the time! <laughs> All the time! God is good! And then the air conditioner breaks. <laughs> God help you, right? So, you see, God's love is an abstraction. It's not real. Um, I, know, I know we don't have much time, but let me just, uh, let me just go through this. So, you know, um, the goal of our love is not, it's not God. It's not what God loves, right? We, we, we don't love what God loves um, because love-centered anger always wants to do a surgical strike on evil. God-centered love always wants to do like a surgical strike, attack on evil, right? Uh, if we really love someone like a child, we see them acting like an idiot well, we don't destroy the child. <laughs> we want to destroy the, the idiocy. Right? But in disordered anger, we do not strike the problem. What, what is the enemy? Satan, sin, and the flesh, right? Satan, sin, and the world, or the flesh. We do not strike the problem. Uh, we slash the person into pieces. Right? So when you think about... Your unforgiveness. We all, we all harbor unforgiveness. Let's, let's, let's keep it real in here. We all harbor some kind of unforgiveness in this room. And a lot of it is because disorderly love. Right? Disorderly love. Uh, we love loyalty more than Jesus. I, I'm guilty of that. You know? I, 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 was, I was raised and I was cultivated on the streets. So don't snitch. 
right? Don't snitch. Right? Snitches get stitches, right? So, so we love loyalty more than Jesus. See, so um, the, the most, the most, uh, the, the most greatest blessings turn out to be what causes uh, the most uh, uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual ruin and decimation. When we love the blessing more than the blesser, when we love the gift more than the giver, and we lose uh, the gift, um, we, let me put it like this. Is there anything that if you lost in your life right now that you would turn around and say, God, you are not good? But Abraham was tested like that, right? So there's something in our life. all of us has something in our lives that if God were to take away from us, we would say, God, you are not good. You are not good. So lastly, um, how can anger be healed? This is our last section. Um, really quickly, we could talk about this over lunch if you want to uh, continue to talk about it. But one, how can anger be healed? One, you have to admit you're angry. <laughs> I mean, I know that's not like no-brainer or no-duh, but you got to admit you're angry that you have false righteousness and self-righteousness, and that you do not celebrate the righteousness of God. You have to admit you're angry. Two, you have to analyze it. got to analyze it. You have, to, you have to revisit all the unresolved issues of your life. You have to invite Jesus into all the unresolved issues of your life. That's what I mean by analyze it. Okay? Um, yeah, admit you're angry. Um, you know, like, for instance, sometimes we make jokes and we didn't mean to anger anyone, but we, like, laugh it off, right? The recipient of the joke will laugh it off, but deep down inside, they're angry. And they let it fester like, like a wound, right? It gets infected. And you know when something gets infected, what happens? Right? It swells up, and then even the lightest touch causes so much pain. That's us. We're swollen. We're infected. Because we won't admit that we're angry. I mean, how, how awesome would it be if we could just come up to the person that made the joke or made that... Uh, an appropriate statement and just say, hey, you know, I know you didn't mean to, I know it's not your intention, but it, it, it upset me, it made me angry. And you know, Koreans are about saving face, right? Like performing humility and modesty, and we have to, we have to, we have to for Christ's sake, we gotta, we gotta lay that aside. And we gotta tell each other, hey, that made me angry, that upset me. You gotta admit to one another. We have to confess our sins to one another if we're going to heal. Okay? If we're going to heal, we gotta do that. Okay? Um, we also have to. Um, let's see, let's see, let me let me sum it up. Owning up to our anger gives us an opportunity to reconcile with the one that has inflicted us. You see that? 
owning up to our anger, admitting that we are angry, admitting it to yourself, admitting it to God, and admitting, admitting it to others, gives, gives us an opportunity to reconcile with the one that has inflicted us. You, you can tell God that you're angry at him. God can handle it. Okay? Young people, older people, God can handle it. He's not a wuss. He's not a punk. He ain't soft. He can handle it. Go ahead and tell God what you're angry about and how you're angry at him. He can handle it. He is God. Okay, so you got to admit you're angry. Analyze it really quickly. Proverbs 24, 29. You don't got to turn there, but I would like you to look at it later. Proverbs 24, 29 says, Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that back. I'll pay that man back for what he did. So in Proverbs 24, 29, it says, do not say, and then there's quotations. I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. Uh, what Tim Keller has pointed out to me about this passage is there's quotations. So guess what? Someone's talking to someone else. There's a dialogue. But who is this person in the proverb talking to? This is self-talk. This is a form of self-talk. What do we say to ourselves after we've been damaged or slighted? It's vital. What do you say to yourself after you've been afflicted or, 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 or bent out of shape? See, what I've, what I've concluded as we, as we um, end the thing today is what makes us angry is not what people say. It's not what people say to you or what happened to you, but what makes us really angry is what we say to ourselves about what has happened to us. Self-talk. See, what keeps us angry and sustains anger like a furnace is not really what happened to you. Or what people say to you, but what we say to ourselves about what has happened to us. What makes us angry is not our loss, but what we say to ourselves about what that loss means. What makes us angry is not really the loss. It's what we tell ourselves about what that loss means. It was my treasure. It was my everything. It was my sacrifice. It was one, two, three, right? We tell ourselves that it was more important than God. It was greater than God. And it makes us angrier because it's our Savior. See? I mean, I had, I had breakfast with uh, Pastor Wujin this morning, and we shared some of our pains and some of our trials of pastoring. And the way he spoke about his problems gave me such comfort because I knew that the way he talks to himself about these problems is gospel-centered. Right? It's gospel-centered. And that um, our anger comes from what we believe, um, not just from what people are doing to us. You know, uh, R.C. Sproul said this, and um, man, I love him. I love him for so much of his teaching. I never met the man, but I love him for so much of his teaching. He 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 was once asked by 
a student, um, why do bad things happen to good people? And R.C. Sproul said, that only happened one time, and he volunteered for it. There's a lot of presuppositions in that question, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? There's one presupposition. You know what that is? God owes us. God owes you something. But the Bible says God does not owe you anything. That's why it's grace. God owns you. He does not owe you. He owns you. And so, um, yeah, guys, I, I want you guys to understand that uh, anger is a real, real issue in, um, I think, the Asian American church because we're taught to hide it. We're taught to pretend like it's not there, like an elephant in the room. The Korean way, in my opinion, is just pretend it didn't happen or just pretend you don't know. <laughs> no. For Christ's sake, no. We must talk about these issues of anger. Let me pray. <coughs> Gracious God, we thank you uh, for the honor of, of, of having your word and that we can read your word without being assaulted or persecuted or even screamed at. We thank you that we live in a country where we can lose our Bible and buy a new one. That we live in a country where, like, you go to church and um, so many people just leave their Bibles there. Um, thank you that we have so much, so much grace and mercy. We thank you that you are slow to anger, even though we ignore your word and we scoff at it. We thank you for our sins of omission and our sins of commission. Lord, we have been angry at the wrong things. Help us to be angry at sin, our sin. Thank you that you did not pour your wrath on us, but you poured your wrath on your son and the wrath was satisfied. So all we get is grace. Mm. Such good news. It's in your name we pray. Amen.